0: We stand together in honor of God's Word. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 39. Let's see if we have it up here. Here we go. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you would you pray with me, please? Lord, we just so need you here today. Lord, I, I feel like you have a very specific message for people today. And it's not clear to me exactly how I'm going to communicate it. So we just need your help. Please speak clearly to each heart. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we, and we need you. Help us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. The title of the message today is The Sovereignty of God and the Believer. The Sovereignty of God and the Believer. Point one is the problem with God's sovereignty. All right, to understand the problem of God's sovereignty, we have to define what sovereignty is. Here's the definition this is just from the dictionary. The quality or state of being sovereign or of having supreme power or authority. So when we say God is sovereign, we say he has got supreme power and authority over everything that happens on planet Earth. He is either causing things to happen directly on this Earth... Or, he is allowing things to happen by his permission. Nothing is outside of God's power to control. This, pro- this, this creates a problem. It creates a problem for the unbeliever. There is a movement in our day of atheism... And it is all around this. How can there be a sovereign God, all powerful God, all loving God, and there also be ISIS? There also be volcanoes and earthquakes and destruction and so many pointless things. Seemingly pointless things happening on planet Earth. How can we say that God loves us and that he can control all things when he is allowing so many horrendous things to happen on this planet? And that is a a great question. We're going to talk about it a little more tonight. Um, I'm not going to go into it this morning at all just because of time and because that's not the topic this morning. Topic this morning is the sovereignty of God and the believer. The believer also has a challenge with the sovereignty of God. The idea of evil in general has been solved for the believer probably by free will and Jesus came to die for us and bad things are happening because, because people, sin is in the world and, and people are choosing sin and so of course bad things are allowed to happen but God, God provides redemption for us in Jesus Christ and so when we come to Jesus, everything changes And so we start out as believers in this new worldview that everything's going to be better now that I'm following Jesus. Everything will go smoothly now that I'm following Jesus. I have been forgiven of my sin, not just of its pain and guilt, but also of its penalty. And so I've got just this new beginning, and life is going to be Good because I am in Christ now and I'm going with God instead of against God. And then we find out that bad things happen. Bad things happen, confusing things happen. The first testimony this morning really is this whole topic. She said, I was a Christian, and then something so horrible happened that I could not understand. I could not see how God would possibly allow this, that I just stayed away for seven years. This is when it gets really personal. This isn't about dark, bad things happening out there. This is about dark, bad things happening to me as a believer, who is supposedly forgiven. Supposedly, God is with me and I've got things happening that I cannot understand and I've prayed about them and nothing has changed. And it seems like darkness is pressing in. So Paul has, has come through with a revelation we would never be able to even hear Paul if everything was going great in Paul's life. But Paul, Paul is very acquainted with suffering. You want to read about it? 2 Corinthians 11. He lists a list of what he has gone through as a believer, and it's astonishing all that he's gone through and all the pain and all the difficulty at the hands of man, at the hands of circumstances, he has gone through so much. And through it, God has given him a revelation that he wants for every believer. And so he says words like this, We know we know, this is just not in my head, but we experientially know that all things are working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know it. And then he says this, I am convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God poured out for us in Christ Jesus he has got a revelation. He's bursting with it really that he wants for every single one of us. And so let's let's look at what Paul found out. Suffering now to Paul is like birth pangs of what is to come, look at Romans 8:20. This is right before our, our text. He says, "For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage, to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The next verse in verse 23, he says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our body. So first, Paul's thinking about suffering and what's going on and this frustration that creation itself is experiencing right now because of sin, because of the curse. And he's saying, but it's not just creation. It's also us, us who have believed. We are also groaning. We are also frustrated. We are also longing for a greater revelation of our adoption, of our redemption. We are in a state of waiting. I thought I was adopted. Yep, you are. If you are in Christ, you have been adopted. I thought I was redeemed. Yes, if you're in Christ, you are redeemed. But the fullness of our adoption and the fullness of our redemption includes our bodies. And right now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but our bodies, uh, they're decaying in this life. Salvation includes our bodies. We're getting new bodies. The Bible says that when Jesus comes again, that those who have perished will be raised. The, the, their bodies, whatever whether they were buried or, or cremated or whatever, that was a seed of a new body that, that Jesus is raising up. This is about redemption. He's taking the old and he's redeeming it. He's using that as the seed of the new. And it says this mortal, those who are living in the twinkling of an eye, are going to be transported and are going to put on immortality. We're going to get our new bodies in the transfer. And then our redemption will be full. Then our adoption will be full. And then the, the curse that has been on creation will finally be completely removed. Right now, we are in a time of waiting. We are a time of waiting for Christ to return. The Bible says, the, the next verses, this is the Spirit's groaning. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with with God's will. So the Holy Spirit has been given as a a down payment of what's coming, as an earnest for what is coming, the promise of what's coming. And the Spirit himself has been given to help us in this time of groaning. And in this time, you probably notice this, a lot of times you don't even know what to pray. You don't even know how to pray. But your groans and your honesty and authenticity before God are taken by the Holy Spirit and, and made into prayers. And he's praying the will of God. When we're honest about what we're going through and our feelings and we, we process this before God, the Holy Spirit takes even our groans and makes them prayers and brings about the will of God in our lives. So how do we understand suffering now? Here's what here's what Paul says in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So this is very key to Paul I can go through some difficult things now because it's temporary. And, and really, the glory that is coming, is, it, it, it's so amazing, it's so powerful that I can endure this time because I've got a, a, an eternal perspective. So let's talk about the parking lot. I think it's about time to talk about the parking lot. <laughs> parking lot is a mess, but guess what? It's going to get worse. <laughs> July 5th and July 12th, we will be on gravel. You will come into the parking lot. There will be dust There won't be lines, you won't know where to park, you won't know, and if somebody gets it off, it'll all be off, and it's just going to be a mess. But you know, it's really easy to do it because everybody that drives on it is reminded there's a new parking lot coming. There's going to be a new smooth parking lot with no cracks in it, and there's going to be clear lines, and there's going to be more handicap parking, and there's going to be more. It's just going to, it's going to be really nice. And not just for a week or two. It, that's how it's going to be for a long, long time. And so when we drive on the gravel, we don't, we're not thinking about the gravel. We're thinking about the new parking lot. There's a new parking lot coming, and we understand construction. We understand construction is a very short time for something permanent that is coming, and when you understand that, it helps you. It helps you. In, it helps you push through, doesn't it? So we've got some seniors in high school. Does anybody remember being a, a senior in high school? And what happens about, I don't know, maybe about April of that last year is you go insane. <laughs> you, ju- you just, you just, you tell yourself, I can't do this anymore. I, I've been in school all my life. I am tired. I am weary. I I, I, the spring is coming I, want, I don't want to do this anymore and what do you tell yourself graduation's coming I've just got to push through a little longer I've come this far I just got to push through a little farther and you, you gain strength friends graduation is coming just a little longer. It will be worth it. We need to finish our race. We need to finish our course. We need to keep the faith through difficulty and trouble and confusion. Paul compares it to childbirth. And really what he is alluding to is the original curse. The original curse that affected creation also affected women in childbirth. Part of the curse of sin was that women would have pain in childbirth. And we didn't fully grasp at that time that it wasn't going to be just women, it was going to be all of creation was going to be have this pain. Jesus gave seven signs of, of, of birth pains, famines and earthquakes and, and, tor- and, and these, these wars and rumors of war and these things that were going to happen and they were going to happen as birth pains. Which means, and we need to remember this, birth pains means there's a baby coming. There's going to be a delivery Coming. And in that delivery, the joy of having that new baby causes us to forget or at least diminishes the pain that we went through. And it's so easy for a man to say this, isn't it? We went through. We didn't go through that pain. My wife went through that pain. Friends, there's a new earth. Without a curse, there is a millennium coming. The kingdom of God is fully going to come on this earth. These days of difficulty um, are not surprising to us, nor is it surprising if they get worse instead of better. How many know that the most of the birth pains come when? Right before delivery. Paul Paul has this so in his mind that there's nothing bad that can happen that is going to take away his faith in God. Because this this is to be expected, and it needs to be endured, and we need to fix our hearts and our minds on the coming glory that transcends any difficulty we're going through right now. And then point three, our suffering is actually working for us. This is Paul's big revelation. We don't just overcome in spite of our troubles. We overcome because of them. I'm going to say that again. We don't just overcome in spite of our troubles. We overcome because of them. So he pulls out of Psalm 44, verse 22, this scripture that the psalmist is writing from the cry of his heart. We are considered to be sheep led to the slaughter. You read Psalm 44, you'll get this in its context. Psalm 44 is, the, the, the psalmist is, is doing everything right. He's walking with God. He's, he's, he's obeying God. He's checked his life. There's no sin in his life. Yet these difficult, hard, bad things are happening. And he says, God, your own name is coming into question. I am considered by those who look at my life, those who are looking from the outside. Consider me to be a sheep that is being led to the slaughter. God, you are my shepherd. Uh, My whole life is about your reputation. Uh, You're supposed to be taking care of me. You're supposed to be protecting me. You're supposed to be making me lie down in green pastures. And right now it looks to those around me like I am, that you are mean, that you are. I love you, sheepy. I love you, sheepy. Come be my sheepy. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Come with me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Kill him. (laughs) This is how people think about what's happening with me, God. God. It's about what they think about you. I am considered to be a sheep being led to the slaughter. People look at me and say, stupid. Give up on your faith. Curse God and die. Obviously, this doesn't work. Look at your life. The evidence is crying out. This God thing is not working for you. And that voice of accusation can become so strong in our minds and so strong in our hearts. And Paul says, we are considered to be sheep led to the slaughter. And then he says this, no, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God is for us, not against us. It looks like, it looks bad. It looks difficult. It looks like we're losing. And Paul says, I want you to know this. That which the enemy is saying you're losing, God would never allow this, God, God is not good, is actually making you more than a conqueror. All right, so here we go. The purpose The purpose of God for a believer in suffering. Number one, it purifies our worship. Folks, all things do not work together for good for everybody. All things, uh, uh, bad things, difficult things oftentimes destroy people. They embitter people. They send people in the wrong way. They create anger and wounds and, and people are crazy. And in their wounded, angry place, go and kill other people and join movements. And, and all the idea that all things work together for good for everybody, that is absolutely not true. He says all things work together for good for those who love God and for those who agree with his purpose. So our worship has to be purified. Satan comes to God. We have this third heaven... Revelation in the book of Job and says, uh, God says, have you, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, I have seen him. And let me tell you something about Job. Job is using you. Job doesn't love you. Job is using you. You have put a hedge of protection around him so nothing bad can happen to him. And Job doesn't love you. Job loves Job. He is using you. You take that hedge that is around him, and it will expose his heart. And I am saying this. He does not love you. He only loves himself. He loves your blessing, but he doesn't love you yourself. And God says, Let's take the hedge down for a while. And Job's worship becomes purified. When all of the outward blessings are stripped away, all of a sudden, you're left with only God and the God that has allowed these blessings to be stripped away. And uh, do I love God? God. Or do I just love what he can do for me? It purifies our worship. I've got a devotional I'm sending out this week called The Song in the Night. And it's from Psalm 42. And the psalmist is going through a horribly difficult time. Time. He doesn't know why he's going through it. He's God has forgotten me. God has God has I, I, I'm suffering here. And then he says this, but you have given me a song in the night. He says, Deep calls to deep, all of your waterfalls, all of your breakers have come over me. Deep has called to deep. And you have given me a song in the night. Guys, the song in the night is the most important thing about your Christianity. What do I mean by the song in the night? Well, let's differentiate it to the song during the day. Psalm 42, he talks about, um, he said, I remember the time when I would go with the multitudes of God. I would lead the the throng of God in praise and in joyful worship. That is called the song in the day. It is a right song. It's everything's good with you and God. Everything's good with you and your circumstances. And you love the people of God. You love to be with the people of God. And we worship together and God is good and everything is as it should be. And he remembers that time. He says, I remember singing this this song. I remember my excitement. I remember loving being with the people of God. And then these waves have come over me and they have broken me. and you've given me a song in this night. What happens is our worship becomes deepened in the song in the night. Deep calls to deep. You put a tree next to water, and you're going to have a tree with very shallow roots because it doesn't have to go very deep. You put a tree, plant a tree in a hostile environment and one of two things is going to happen. Either its roots will go very deep until it can get water or it will die. The song in the night is, is, is how your roots go deep in Christianity. Christianity. Jesus said in the parable of the sower, some people are going to fall away, and here's why. Because trouble is going to come because of the word of God. Because they are Christians, trouble is going to come, and they're going to fall away quickly because they have no root in themselves. God brings trouble, allows trouble, not because he doesn't love us, because he loves us so much, he wants us to make it. He wants us. The song in the night is when roots go down deeply. And whereas the the song during the day, you just love being with the people of God. People of God are like angels. In the song in the night, they change. You you go through the song of of the night alone. You start questioning everything. And all of a sudden, are these, are these really fellow believers, or are we a social group that is believing in a personal God to help protect us from life's harsh realities? And you gotta decide that. And you gotta push into God. And you gotta find God for yourself. Here's the heart of God for the song in the night. Hosea two fourteen. He says, I'm going to allure her into the wilderness. I'm taking her to a lonely place. I'm taking her to a difficult place. I'm drawing her out there by my express will so that I can speak tenderly to her there. She will experience me not through someone else's faith, not through what somebody else believes, not through what the pastor thinks. She's going to experience me personally, herself. She's going to experience my tenderness in the wilderness. And in that day, verse 16, she will no longer call me master. She will call me husband. I will deepen her identity and her relationship so the very way she relates with me is going to be in intimacy. The song in the night. A few years ago, 2008, I experienced the song in the night. I experienced the loneliness, the isolation, the voice. The voice that says you god're you're, you 're you're leading me like a sheep into slaughter i 've told the story before, but i 'll give you brief points to say how God tenderly spoke to me in the midst of it first my my son backslid, decided he didn 't want to be a Christian anymore. then we came to madison and and The church I was coming to supposedly it was going to go to the next level it split up three three of the pastors didn't want to be on my staff and they started another church a couple miles away and people were leaving in droves those that were still there were confused it was it was a mess of just it was just a mess I'm reading books during that time on the civil war Just, I'm trying to figure out what Abraham Lincoln did in the midst of all of the difficulty and pain. I don't know that there's been a more difficult time in our history than the Civil War. And then we have a breakthrough. It's 2008, everybody has been praying for our house in Montevideo to sell, and Montevideo, Minnesota, and and because uh, this was another burden we, where we've got rent, and we've got a house payment, and it's, 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 bec- it's a very personal thing, and we get a breakthrough, and everything that everybody has prayed is answered, and we get a full offer on the house, and I announce it to the church on Sunday morning, and everybody's just rejoicing and excited, and I'm excited, and this is the first breakthrough, this is the first good thing that's happened, and, and so... Uh, <laughs> So I'm off on retreat. I'm, I'm, I'm at a cabin. I'm all by myself. I am preparing messages, whatever I'm doing. And the call comes from the realtor that, uh, that things were not as they appeared. The guy's pulling out that was buying it. The, uh, the house is not sold. And I, I had just had enough. I had just had enough with God. I I wasn't going to say it to the people of God, but I was going to say it to God himself. God, I have four children, and what you have allowed to happen to me, this is cruel. This is cruel. You... Why couldn't there just not have been an offer on the house? Why couldn't have it fallen through before I told everybody? Why? Why? You knew everything. You knew everything. And yes, I could have blamed the guy. He lied on his application. I could have, you know, blamed the bank or the assessor. But no, you're responsible. You are God and you're sovereign. I refuse to blame people because you're a sovereign God and you knew exactly what was going on. And you let it come to this. And I just want you to know that I love my children. And if it was in my power to prevent this to happening from happening, I would prevent it every single time. And suppose, guys, this is a pastor talking to God. This is a pastor. I said, if it was in my power, you supposedly love me. You're supposed to love me way more than I love my kids. I am, I'm evil. I'm an evil. And even me being evil does give good gifts to my children. And you're supposed to not be evil. You're supposed to be all loving, all good, all kind. And you have allowed this to happen. And I am very unhappy. And I went into this dark period in my life. I I started questioning my call. I got, I pulled all the elders together, and I just said, uh, I just assume maybe everybody's already talking about this, and I'm the only one that doesn't know, I'm not the most observant person. I'm like, do you guys think, I told them the story of the house, I'm like, am I even supposed to be here? You guys tell me, am I supposed to, are you guys all talking about that this was never supposed to be, and... And they, they, were very, they were very encouraging, and they, uh, they chose to help with the rent for a while. And anyway, I went to the national convention that year, Mark Brattrude spoke, and he spoke on the book of Job. And he's in the middle of his message, and he says this, Do you know why God allows some things to happen to his children that you would never allow to happen to your children? (gasps) I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is the exact question. And he says, let me tell you why. Because God has the power of resurrection and you don't. With you, if it gets too bad, it's out of your control. It's never out of God's control because God can raise the dead. God can accomplish his purpose. He can, he can let it die. He can let it. everything bad happen. The devil can be on it and God can just by his decree raise it from the dead. And it was the the Spirit of God tenderly speaking into my spirit. Tom, this is not even what you think it is. And the tenderness of that time gave me the song in the night. And I came back, circumstances were just the same, but I came back filled with worship and praise. God's purposes in our troubles first he he purifies us as worshipers secondly he conforms us to the image of his son you and i have been predestined we're actually going to talk about predestination next week so i'm not going theological right now god made a a plan beforehand that you and I that believe in Jesus would be conformed to the image of Christ. That, that word conformed, it, it, it means to be pushed into a form. God, lo- God has no standard for outward beauty. He thinks every one of us is beautiful outwardly. But he does have an inward standard. You can read it in the Beatitudes. It's the beauty of Jesus. It's the beauty of his character. And he is using life's problems and difficulties and even the devil himself to conform us into the image of Jesus. To make us forgiving people, loving people, patient people, kind people, gentle people. He is on a mission. And oftentimes we're at counter purposes with God. Because we've got a goal for ourselves to be comfortable, and he's got one to conform us. Do you see how those two, two, two plans could be in conflict? So, But Paul says, you need to agree with this. You need to agree. You are becoming beautiful, and God's pulling out all the stops to make you beautiful. And then he tells us, Paul tells us about the, the song in the night in his own life. 2 Corinthians 12, he says there was a thorn. And he calls it a messenger of Satan. Darkness was oppressing Paul. We don't know what the thorn is, and I think that is intentional. A thorn is that thing in your life that you don't want, that thing you never would have chosen for yourself, that thing that is the devil's attack on your life. And he says, I prayed three times that the thorn would be taken away. How many know that Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane to have the thorn taken away? If it's possible, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And the third time, God, the voice of God came to Paul. And it said this. My grace is sufficient for you my grace is enough for you and my power is actually you think your weakness is hindering your witness that you could be more if you didn't have this thing in your life and he says no no that's not how it works my power is actually revealed in your weakness they will see me more clearly because of your weakness. And then Paul says, so here's what I say now. I rejoice in my weakness. I rejoice in my weaknesses because my mission was that Jesus would be seen in my life, that the fragrance of God would be experienced by other people through my life. I rejoice if this is what it takes. And he's not saying the thorn's going to be there for his whole life, but for now it is. And he says, I, refi- I refuse to empower that voice of the enemy who accuses God and says, yeah, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. He says, I refuse. No, I'm more than a conqueror. And even the difficult things, even the demonic things that seem to be crushing me right now are going to work for my good because I love God. And I agree with his purpose. And then finally, before I have the worship team come back up, to make us purified worshipers, to conform us to the image of Christ, and thirdly, to make us witnesses to others of redemption. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Joseph, not only was he a believer, he was innocent before God of any wrongdoing. And bad things just started happening to him. He gets forsaken by his brothers and gets becomes the slave of potiphar and but god's with him with potiphar and god is still with him in his troubles and he becomes the head of that home and the blessing of god is so strong on him that potiphar says i'm gonna put the whole thing you're gonna be in charge of everything because i see the blessing of god on you and then his wife falsely accuses him and and potiphar believes the wife and so he gets sent to prison here's this guy that loves god that's following god doing everything god wants and now he's in prison Clearly, this is a sheep being led to the slaughter. Clearly, he should give up on his faith, give up on God. The Bible says the word of the Lord tested him while he was in prison. Did you know that we're tested? Did you know that God tests us? And then in one day, he goes from being a prisoner of the state to the head of the state. Isn't God something? And his brothers are just sure after, after their dad dies, they're sure that now Joseph's going to take revenge on them for all the evil that they did. And he's like, listen, God is sovereign. You meant it for evil, I get that. But God intended what you were doing for evil to work together for good for the saving of many lives in this present hour. God has used my suffering to get me in a place where I could bring salvation to many other people. So I want to tell you the story in closing of Louis Zamperini. He grew up in Southern California. He uh, he was a horrible troublemaker, sinner, thief, everything. And his parents couldn't do anything with him, and they finally found out he could run. And so he would use all of his energy to run, and they got him in the track team, and he ran, and he could run like the wind. And as a 19-year-old boy, he qualified for the 1936 Olympics in the 5,000 meters. And he, he, he placed eighth in the Olympics, um, but Hitler himself wanted to meet him because... Even though he ended up eighth, his last lap was 56 seconds. It was the fastest lap of all of his laps by far. He had all this strength at the end. He had all of this resilience, and he finished strong. In 1941, he was drafted into the Air Force and fought um, many, many battles in the Pacific Ocean um, by air. It led many bombing raids, and um, one of them ended in disaster. And the, and the plane went down, and the, the, him and two of his buddies survived it. And they, they lasted 47 days on a raft in the Pacific Ocean. One of the, one of the guys didn't make it the whole time, but two of them, him and his one buddy, made it through. They, they caught rainwater to drink, and they killed birds to eat and use the birds to catch little fish. And and they survived 47 days. And he said, many times I was sustained by an invisible presence while I was on that raft. And they finally land on the Marshall Islands in the Pacific Ocean. And it turns out it's Japanese territory, and they are immediately captured by the Japanese. And because he's famous, they want to use him. The Japanese want to use him as propaganda. So they give him stuff to read on the radio about the war, about how they're being treated. It's all lies. And he refuses to, and they say, we will torture you. He says, no, I, I, I torture me. Do what you need to do. So he's tortured for three years. Every day he's tortured. Mercilessly tortured, mocked, and once again sent into solitary confinement. Once again, that invisible presence sustaining him. 1945, the war is over. He comes home as a hero. He becomes addicted to alcohol. Because of the nightmares of what had happened he he cannot he can't get away from the torture he can 't get away from his tortures he night after night after night, so he goes to the bottle and he becomes a raging alcoholic. He has lost everything by this time except for his wife and his child it 's nineteen forty nine and she goes to a Billy Graham crusade and gets saved and and she and she begs him to come she's She's like, this is, this is really your last chance. And he says, he said, I'll come. He said, but, but when, he, when he gives the altar call, I want you to know, I am going the other way. I, I, I'll come to the crusade, but once that altar call comes, I'm going the other way. Billy Graham gives the altar call, and instead of going the other way, they're playing just as I am. He comes to the front, and he gets gloriously saved. saved. Jesus forgives him and he forgives his captors. And he never has another nightmare the rest of his life. He becomes a flaming evangelist for Jesus Christ. In 1950, he goes back to Japan and he shares with former guards that had tortured him, and they get saved and the gospel gets spread through this man's life, but it never got spread quite like it did originally until his last lap. In 2010, Laura Hildebrand wrote a book about him called Unbroken, a story of resilience, hope, and redemption. And that book became the best-selling nonfiction book in 2010, and then in 2014, Angelina Jolie made a movie called Unbroken and her life was deeply touched and the whole world heard his story. In 1998, he was asked by the United States Winter Olympic Committee to carry the flag for America because it was in Nagano, Japan. And he went back and read a letter Expressing the forgiveness that Jesus Christ had taken hatred out of his life and put love in and that Jesus Christ is the answer for this world. He died in 2014 and in 2015, Billy Graham's foundation came out with a movie called Captured by Grace. In the sovereignty of God, this man endured suffering like none of us probably would ever Was it a waste? Or was what was happening at that time, was he a Joseph of our age that was going to preach the gospel so that many lives could be saved? Friends, God loves you, but he doesn't just love you. He loves your neighbor. He loves your work associates. He loves your family. The Bible says the God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction so that we might be able to comfort others with, that are going through similar afflictions that don't know him with the comfort we've received. We are the gospel. We are the carriers of the gospel. And of course... Paul's own life he spends most of the end of his life in Roman prisons and it just seems like the enemy has shut him down and so what did he do while he was in prison wrote the New Testament (laughs) hello all right Could we stand together I'd like the worship team to come guys I've got a prayer if you are in the middle of the trenches right now you are you are in the dark night right now I have got a prayer that I want to pray with you we're all going to pray it together out loud here we go Out loud, guys. Here we go. Father, I take courage and comfort knowing that you are my strength when I am weak. I call you faithful in the midst of what seems so horrible and unexplainable. My trust is in you, God. I decree that no weapon formed against me will be able to prosper, and every tongue that rises against me will come to nothing. Lord, I thank you for being a shield all around me. You are my exceedingly great reward. My shelter is in you. You are my refuge and my fortress. There is absolutely nothing that can separate me from your love. I am fully persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate me from the love of God. No spirits of fear, anxiety, hopelessness, depression, or worry will plague my soul. The spirit of death is displaced by victory. I am more than a conqueror. Lord, I thank you for the prevailing anointing that causes me to triumph in the face of adversity. I commit to bless you in the midst of trouble. Your divine will for this time of my life will be accomplished. What the devil has meant for my demise will cause promotion and prosperity. The greater one is inside of me and his resurrection power will come forth on my behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.